Good afternoon, my name is Ben and this is Justin and you are listening to The Pastor Study. Uh, we have been going through this uh, really big book here uh, called Evangelical Theology by Dr. Michael F. Bird. And uh, we are going to just continue our uh, kind of the chapter, I guess, our section on, um, oh, you know, I have a hard time with this word. <laughs> I'm, you know what? I'm not even gonna try. You're gonna you're gonna just take take it from here, Justin. Eschatology. Yep, that's the one. That's the word. So, um, my question is: Are we going to use the NPR voice throughout the whole thing, or is that just how you decided to start today? I I don't even know that I necessarily meant to start that way. <laughs> I was trying in my head. My mind was like, you know, I should I should try to speak slowly and calmly because usually I'm a little fast. Right. And no, it I came it and there. it came it's out like, as NPR. Like, yes. Um, welcome. You, uh, welcome. So, to the pastor study here on NPR. <laughs> <laughs> Next time I'll start out with like a good morning Vietnam. Good <laughs> yep. morning. Yep, Bridge there we go. Fellowship. Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> That's one of my favorite movies of all time. It is a great movie. I used to have a poster, a Good Morning Vietnam poster on oh, my wall. Very nice. Yeah, one of my one of the great ones. Um, <sighs> so yeah, we're talking. We're continuing to talk about eschatology, but this is. You know, I think this is an interesting way to be kind of looking about, thinking about eschatology, because we're looking at what is the kingdom of God. And I don't know that we always think about that as an eschatological question, but he makes a point of why it is that and, and why we need to think about it that way. Well, I think he does a good job of of making it clear that it's not just an eschatological question. Right. Um, it is It is a question that is typically... Um, you know, when we're, when we're talking about the kingdom of God in church, it's a lot of times not referenced in collaboration with end times, but it really is an end times question as well. Uh, And I think he does a good job of separating the two. And I think it is one of those things where, and he makes a point of showing this out, is that people either think about it as only an end times thing or not at all an end times thing, instead of looking at it and realizing that it is a both and kind of conversation. Which, Which is kind of what we talked about last week and what he set up in that, uh, now and the not yet. Right. It's it's yes and exactly, and that's what we really have to realize is as we're talking about the kingdom of God, and this is true whether it's we're talking about it in this book or when I talk about the kingdom on a Sunday morning in a sermon, I am talking about the now and the not yet, and I usually try to make a point to say that about how it does, and I think he does a really good job of explaining that in this chapter and talking about how different people throughout the history of the church and even different people within the 20 and 21st century have thought about the kingdom and understood it. Yeah, I I, I completely agree. So do, do we want to just kind of go through and talk about how the different... Um... I think so. I think, you know, we, we kind of go in there and, and begin to kind of think about it. And so he starts off with, you know, just kind of some basic understanding of the kingdom in... He says, you know, he starts off the kingdom of God in 20th century thought. And so there was just a lot of discussion um, within that period of whether or not, especially when you're kind of in the early and mid 20th century about whether or not the kingdom is a present reality or a future reality Mm -hmm. and a lot of argument back and forth between a lot of scholars about those things. Well, and I'd like to, uh, the section, um, where he mentions Dodd, uh, CH Dodd and this idea that history was the vehicle for the eternal that like, what we that it wasn't just a 
here and now or a later, but it was something that was all throughout history right. over the course of time. And what you see is that you've got some people that want to put it as being just a particular place and time and a thing mm. that happened or a thing that is happening. And instead of realizing that it is a, it happened, it is happening. It, it will happen kind of idea there. And I, I like that too. And ultimately he comes down and says what he's going to be looking at. And, you know, and it's definitely where I fall in the belief because he, he kind of lays it out and says, there's some that have taught that it was a, it happened then there's some that are kind of talking about it. He says a third option for eschatology is an inaugurated position. This view, which many antecedents in the church fathers and modern scholarship sees the kingdom of God as a present reality, reality with a future consummation. Mm. And that's the way that, you know, that I have understood it. And I think he does a good job of arguing for that position through here, that Mm. this is something, the kingdom of God is alive and well now, but it is not fully consummated yet. It is not fully here. It will not fully here be here until the second coming of Christ, but we can live in the reality of the kingdom of God now. Yeah. And I think it's important to note in, in all of this, that, um, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody that scripture points out and in that, that the, the kingdom is here and that the kingdom is to come and that the kingdom has been. And, and there's multiple places throughout scripture where you can see literally those words. Exactly. And that's what he does through this out. This next section is going through and mostly using the new Testament, but also showing how the new Testament uses the old Testament to point to this reality Mm -hmm. of a kingdom that is alive and well now, but also that there is an age to come. There is a culmination of that coming in the future. And he points out that in all of the gospels, he points it out in Paul's writings. Um, I think he especially, you know, really well points it out because he can't look at everything that he does. I mean, he spends a lot of time in this, but he talks about how Mark says the kingdom of God has come near. And mm-hmm. Luke says the kingdom of God is in your midst. And also how both of them and Matthew point to the kingdom that is not that is yet to come, that has yep. not been here yet. Um, he says that John's gospel is the one that he feels like talks about the kingdom as the reality of the here and now more than any of the rest. And what did you think about that? So wait, say that say that part again. Where he gets into the to John's gospel and he talks about he says he kind of looks at John's gospel as being the one that most emphasizes the reality of the kingdom of God in the here and now. Well, and I th- I think that is I I I like how he pointed it out because we know that John's gospel is very different than the other gospels. Right. And I think um that there's like this I don't even know how to d- describe it, but there's this um, I, I, I it's gonna sound weird, but like mo- almost like a more spiritual element to John's Gospels. No, where, I think you're where absolutely it's, right. Where it's not just a historical retelling; yes. it's saying it's like it's it's a right. it's like John's the hippie of the four Gospels. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think there is there is a stronger um, both mystical element and a yeah. stronger theological element to John's Gospel. There are places like you go into that the beginning of John's Gospel, and he's really laying out more of a theology mm-hmm. in that than he is a history there. Yeah. And, and all of that is through that. But if you go through and see how much he relays of 
Jesus teaching and mm. the conversations that he has with people like Nicodemus, it is very much wanting to lay out a theology and a laying out more about who Jesus is than what he did. Whereas I would say that's true of all of the Gospels. They all want to show both. I would say that the synoptics really focus more on what Jesus did than who he was. And John focuses more on who he was than what he did or who he is than what he did. And, you know, that's even kind of as I'm as I'm going through um, planning out this series that we've got coming up in market mm-hmm. a few weeks, I'm calling that series, uh, What Did Jesus Do? Mm-hmm. Because that is so much what oh, Mark's yeah. gospel it, it is. It feels it's just like it's a... Boom, boom, yeah. what did Jesus do? And so... But he makes this point in here, you know, Jesus comes in and he brings light into the darkness and he brings life from death and all this, these things that John talks about, about who Jesus is Mm -hmm. and what it is that he has come to do and says, this is all about inaugurating the kingdom now. But again, he continues to talk about a future judgment and he continues to talk about defeating the prince of this world and all these things in there. So even though I would say that that John seems to be more focused on the here and now of the kingdom, Mm -hmm. that future of the kingdom is still there too. The fact that it is not fully here. It's not completely here yet. Well, and I think, I think even Jesus's ministry shows that too, you know, his miracles showed here's the kingdom here. And now I'm doing this. The church is being built. This is my kingdoms here. But then he also in teaching his disciples to pray, right. Says my kingdom, you know, my kingdom 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 come. So it's it's something that's going to happen more in the future as well. Exactly. And and I really like this quote um, that he has here um, from Craig Custer. I'll just read this. Mm-hmm. John's sense of time. His eschatology is shaped by his recognition that in the coming of Jesus, the light has made a decisive difference between the past and the present. But John also knows that the present is the scene of conflicting claims. True life is a current reality, yet so is death. Some people can now see, yet others have become blind. These truths grate against each other like a dissonant sound pressing for resolution. The gospel assumes there is no going back as if Jesus never came. There is, there can only be going forward to the point where the dissonance resolves into harmony. And so it's saying, you know, Jesus came, he inaugurates the kingdom. It is here, it is alive, and it is well, but we're waiting for all of these, this cacophony to quit and go into this harmonious moment when the kingdom is fully here. And I love the way that that writer puts that there. And so, and then he moves in and says, you know, look, Paul is saying the exact same thing. So we see the synoptics say it. Yep. John says it. Paul says it. Showing the power of the kingdom alive in this world, but also the coming judgment, the coming, the second coming of Christ that we see is going to come and that is going to happen and and he says, look, you know, Paul's eschatology is an apocalyptic eschatology. Mm-hmm. And there is going to be a time when everything is going to change. He says, Paul calls people to read the sign of the times and prepare for the final eschatological showdown. Ahead of that day, the saving power of God has been expressed in the Son and the Spirit. So God's people are anticipating the verdict and vindication of the final judgment and looking forward to the renewal of all things. And then we go into Revelation, getting back to John again. And 
Revelation teaches the same thing. Same kinds of things. Kingdom of God is alive and well, but it is going to come. There is going to be a culmination of all of this. What did you think about his analogy that he says is his favorite one for this, where he talks about um, D-Day and V-E Day? Oh, I I liked how he, he related it back to, to, yeah, to World War II and how there's this, there's like the... The, the main, the, you know, the smaller battle that happens or, you know, now I don't even want to say smaller, but the, the first battle that happens and, but that, that's not the end, that right. there's more to come. Yep. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, kind of saying, yeah. So he says in here, Jesus first coming was like the allied landing at Normandy where Jesus defeated Satan by his death and resurrection. And his second coming will be like the formal surrender of Germany to the allies when Jesus subjugates all hostile forces to God's reign. Well, and it, especially when you consider in in the context of the historical context of that that victory on the beach really was like that was the turning point for it, everything absolutely. Like, that yeah. was i mean it wasn't the end but it was it was all but the end right uh, and it wasn't until germany finally actually right. gave up that it was the end even though they had long lost way before that absolutely and so i, I think it's a, a very interesting way to look at it and so now we're looking and kind of going, and so we've got this idea of this inaugurated kingdom, and he's got a flowchart in here that kind of shows us a picture of it. You know, say we've got this old age of the law of sin and mm-hmm. death, and we've got this new age that is going to come in. And he said, you know, there's there's an overlapping of that new age and that old age that happens when Jesus comes with the cross, with the mm-hmm. resurrection, with the spirit coming, with the dawn of the new age. And then we see that fully come in at the second coming of Christ when everything is completely renewed, when we have the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, everything is recreated and we are living fully in God's kingdom. And I think that is a way to be able to kind of look at it and understand it is we see, you know, the old age here and it's running through this way on the timeline. And then the new age come begins to come in and these are running together until the second coming of Christ when this begins to roll and the old mm-hmm. age is completely gone. Yep. And so then he asks a question, which is the, you know, so we've kind of been looking at, you know, how it all comes together, some, mm-hmm. some timing and what the scripture says about it. But then he's going to ask, what is the kingdom of God? And gives the way that some have looked at it along the way. What did you think about that section there? Yeah, he gives about, uh, what do we got, five or six? Yes. Five. Six, six. Yeah, his is Almost the sixth one. Six yeah. ones, yeah, is, is the one he likes the most. Um, I think just like most of the other things that we've looked at in this book, that each one of these kind of has a, they've got their high points and their low points. Yep. And they all have uh, beneficial things. And I mean, without spoiling it, I do like the last one probably the best yeah. out of, out of and them. I, and I, I do too, um, but it, I want to kind of look at all of sure, them and yeah. then say something as we kind of get to that last one. And I think what happens with these is if you're 100% going into any of these categories that he's going to lay out, then that is where you're going to, if you're saying it's only this, Mm -hmm. then that is where you're going to fall into a trap and get into some kind of heresy. Yeah, something's not going to line up correctly later on. So, you know, he talks about it as first, you know, so there's several options for what the kingdom actually is. And he first the one he lays out is an idealism, which really kind of comes out of Europe in the late 1800s into the 20th century, 
and especially prominent in Germany. Talks about post-Kantian rationalists, um, kind of al- a civil religion alternative to Catholicism and well, it was, the Protestantism it was, of its It day. came out of wanting to escape both the Protestantism and the Catholicism. Right. Um, and, and it's a much more humanist kind of view exactly. of, of the kingdom. Um, and we, so, you know, essentially saying, look, we're just, we're looking for this brotherhood of man. We're yeah. looking for everybody coming together. And that the kingdom of God is when everybody comes together and loves each other and everything's right. And there's some truth in that. Mm-hmm. But when you're looking at it from this completely pietistic, completely humanistic understanding of it, it's not going to work. Well, and the, and I think that's that's probably the biggest weakness with this one is it seems like it almost takes God out of the picture. It does. Completely. It tries to. For sure. It tries to. Um, and and you can't have the kingdom of God without God. Yep. And so, you know, and it's really a, a kind of a, a utopianism. Yeah. It is, you know, just pushing. And we've talked about that some in the mm-hmm. last couple of weeks where, you know, if we're if we're taking God out of the picture and we're saying the kingdom of God that's being talked about is just this utopia that we can build through the right kind of programs and the right kind of politics, then we're getting way out of the way. But there is some truth in that the kingdom of God is going to be a place where our relationships are all reconciled yeah. and right um but it won't be because of anything humans did absolutely and that's it will the, be yeah and that, that's the biggest weakness that's the biggest this. weakness there and so then he gets into liberation and, and getting into liberation theology and you know and he talks about you know he brings up john dominic crossan who is one of the key leaders in the historical jesus movement a former catholic priest i've actually met the man uh, he came and did a um debate at the seminary um and he's a you know i wouldn't necessarily say that he's an atheist but he's definitely somewhere between a theist and an atheist you know yeah. just yeah. you know doesn't believe in the the mystical understanding of who christ is and a um theological understanding of that he actually believes that jesus was not resurrected that his his body was um taken away by wild dogs. I mean, there's a lot to say about, you know, the person that's being brought up here. So we want to kind of get some background on that. But he, you know, he also brings up James Cone and African-American theology here and says that the kingdom is where um, Jesus is going to come in and he is going to bring about liberation for the poor and the downtrodden and bring justice into that. And there is truth in that. That that is exactly what is and is going to happen. It's the the difference is that that's that's not all that there is. Exactly, and that's what the problem. This comes in is when this is the focus, and mm-hmm. when this is everything. When it is pulling in, and it's just the social gospel of an old, you know, early twentieth, mid twentieth century liberalism. This is a part but we can't let it go and say it's not understand that it is a part of it because as, as he says in here there is plenty of material in the gospel that associates jesus in the kingdom with rescuing the poor the infirm the oppressed and the marginal mm. marginalized that is absolutely true it is happening it will happen it is part of what we are called to do as we have been studying in micah that we are supposed to be walking in the way of god that we are supposed to love justice that's part of it but when it becomes the whole thing, mm-hmm. then that's when it falls apart. Yep. And then you get into this dynamics saving rain. And I would say that's the same thing. This is so true about what the kingdom is. 
But when you take this and you don't bring in the liberation, when you take this and you don't bring in the idealism, when it is just about that, then you've lost the full picture of it all. Um, you know, because what he says here with this is that God's reign, God's kingdom is synonymous with God's redemption. And I think there's some truth in that. Again, yep. But what is God redeeming? He's not just redeeming us as individuals. He's redeeming everything, all, everything, all of creation. And we have to be able to look at that, which again is the next part that he looks at with particularly looking at N.T. Wright and his idea of creation restored. Which is a Which huge is it, part of it. Is it. Well, and that's the thing is like uh, with each of these, it is exactly what's going to happen, but that's not all that's going to happen. Exactly. And I think that like, I think, you know, and, e- and even knowing what Dr. Wright writes about, his creation restored really does grab in all exactly, of these yeah. things. So, so far I would say it's probably the best. I was going to say this one is probably these. the one that I, other than the last one, maybe this one was probably the closest. Right. And so I think he does a really good job for it. Um, and I like what he says here. He says, Wright contends that ultimately only God builds God's kingdom, yet the church builds for the kingdom through its various works and ministries of justice, setting the things right in the community, works of beauty, highlighting the glory of creation and the glory yet to be revealed in evangelism, summing people to allegiance in the Lord Jesus. So I think this with pulling in those focuses from some of the other places mm-hmm. and pulling in this next one that we're going to look at, which is the idea of the church as a kingdom, which he, which he actually does pull in a little of this. He is, does. Uh, is this idea yeah, what we just read? Exactly. I was going to say right. is exactly what you just read is this idea that the church is, is the kingdom that is like, it's the right. kind of like the physical hands and feet part of this, where they're the, the yep. foot soldiers of, of kind of what's getting done, you know, and, so you, we look at this, it says, Therefore the church is the present locus of the kingdom of God and the axis on which God's kingdom is displayed. The kingdom is not a spiritual entity, nor should it be equated with social justice activism. The kingdom of God is God as king, Christ's kingship. The church lives under that rule, and one day King Jesus will return to reign over renewed creation. I think the problem is here is it's not pulling in. It's looking at the church as an institution instead of the church as a people. Mm-hmm. It's looking at the church as a, instead of the relationship that we're doing, because the social justice activism is part of the church. Sure. It's one of those things that we should be doing. It's, it's actively out there, and that is part of bringing the kingdom alive. And so he brings in, says the best definition is Graham's Goldworthy's definition, and I think it's a good one. Yeah. Um, and I'll read that. Or no, you read that, Ben. Sure. I've been yeah. talking too much. Sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. It says this. The entire biblical story, despite its great diversity of forms and foci, is consistent in its emphasis on the reign of God over his people in the environment he creates for them. The kingdom depicted in Eden is lost to humankind at the beginning of the biblical account. The history of redemption begins immediately when the kingdom is lost and tells of the way the kingdom of God will finally be established as a new people of God in fellowship with him in a new Eden, a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, and a new earth. I, th- I think it's, it is the perfect culmination of all of it. Is It's, yes, there's going to be a brand new creation. There's going to be a yep. brand new people. There's going to be a brand new church. There's going to be a brand new everything, as well as we're also going to redeem all the people who have been hurt and marginalized and um, right. you know, downtrodden and, you know, bring all of those in as well. And I think if there's, if there's anything that I thought, like in this little section here that he brings up, mm-hmm. is that he doesn't, 
pull in all of those other strains as well yeah. as I think he could. I think that's here in the definition, but I also think that it's in N.T. Wright's definition, too. Yeah. I think these are very, very similar. They are. They and are. I think that we want to make sure that we understand that the kingdom of God is now and not yet. Yep. And it is this coming together of all that God has been planning from the whole time. And, and it's always been here to a point. And we're looking to see, you know, how do we bring it more alive in the here and now? And that's the big question that we're looking at in this is what does it matter to the way that I live? How does me understanding that the kingdom of God is alive and well now, that it is something that I am taking part in, that it is something that I have a part of God's church, as part of God's people that I am an ambassador of and a part of, how does it change the way that I live knowing this? And I think he does a good job of this at the end of this. He says, the church is called to be in the world, not of the world. We preach to the world, but we must not seek to be the world or be lords of the world. We are to be a steadfast prophet standing in front of the riot police, a meddlesome priest who despots grimace over, a martyr refusing to fight in the gladiatorial arena, a physician to the sick, and a priest to the penitent. We must avoid the temptation to Caesarize the church, to rule in a theocracy, and to resist the temptation to messianicize political leaders into pseudo-saviors. The politics of the church is quite simple. God is our only king, and Jesus is our only Lord. Otherwise, we risk becoming what John Fay calls court evangelicals who seek not the advance of Christ's kingdom, but the pursuit of influence in the corridors of political power for the church's advantage and aggrandizement. It changes the way we think about who we are and how we live, because if we understand that God's kingdom is now, then we understand that we serve a king and a kingdom, and that everything else comes second from that. It, it takes away our excuse to do nothing. Yes. You know, it, it means that we can't just sit around and wait and say, oh, well, I hope that Jesus comes back soon because things are just, you know, really bad. Well, yeah, things are really bad. Go get off your butt and go do something about it. You know, like, and that's yeah because we are living in the kingdom as we speak. Right. And he is alive and he is reigning and we can't wait for him to come back because he's already here because we are his body. Hmm. And yes, he is going to come back and culminate all of this. But we are supposed to be working to build out these pockets of the kingdom alive and well right now. So we have to look as Christians and be asking ourselves, okay, this is the place where God has put me. This is the skills that God has given me. This is the time that he has asked me to live in. And look and see, okay, you know, he's called me to be a teacher. What would it look like for my classroom to be a kingdom classroom? What would it look like for my school to be a kingdom school? What would it look like for my accounting firm to be a kingdom place where the things are going the way that God would have them go in this? What would it look like for whatever business I'm in, whatever place that I'm at, whatever influence that I have in the world, whether it is my job, it is the places where I go and do my hobbies, Mm -hmm. what would it look like for the kingdom to be alive in that place. Yep. And that's what I have to start asking. That's where we have to start praying, God, what would you have me do to bring the kingdom in the places where you would put me? 
and understanding that the kingdom is alive and well now, that it is in our midst, that it is at hand, how that is going to change the way we look at everything. I can tell you, since I've understood that, it has drastically changed the way that I have understood things. I mean, it is, you know, going in and realizing that, you know, several years ago that there are people who aren't going to step in the walls of the church, but I can bring the kingdom to a comic book shop mm-hmm. that I can bring the kingdom to a brew pub that I can bring the kingdom to a table where I'm sitting around and playing games with people who would never walk into the doors of my church, but might after they come to know Christ, because I've spent time with them in another place and brought the kingdom message yep. into that by making sure that even if the, there are things going on in that place that aren't kingdom minded, that I'm kingdom minded in that place. And that I'm a light in that place where other things are going on. And so what you just said is we we see all this terrible stuff going on in the world. What am I going to do to get into the places and bring the light into that darkness? That's what all of us have to ask ourselves as Christians. Yeah, because I, and then again, I see people all the time, uh, something bad happens in the news and they post on their social media accounts, man, I hope God comes back soon. It's like, but God put you in the position that you're in to be the solution, to Absolutely. be the, 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 the next step in helping uh, your neighbor. And so just, just go and do something. Absolutely. And so. I think that that may be just the key to this at the end. Is, yeah. Is, is our, our message from this today is we're looking and realizing what the kingdom is, that it is now and not yet, that we can make it even more alive now by going and doing something. So we want to challenge you, whether you're watching or listening to go and do something to bring God's kingdom, make it even more of a reality in your world today than it was yesterday. And I, and and it's, it's not something, uh, it's not something that's difficult. One of my favorite, um, lines from a movie, it's not a very good movie. It's a kind of a dumb movie, but Evan almighty Mm -hmm. and, uh, Morgan Freeman playing God that tells Evan, he says, uh, how do I make a difference in the world? And he said, one small act of kindness at a time. Yep. And it's all, it, you just start with something simple and start and, with something, small. And, start with something yeah. small and in your circle and, and go from there. So, Amen. I'm going to pray for that. Go for it. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for bringing us together to just discuss um, and get to know you better, to get to know your kingdom better today. Lord, I pray for both Ben and I and for everyone who is watching or hearing this. Lord, I just pray that you would put something on our hearts that we can do to go and be ambassadors to your kingdom, to bring your kingdom alive into the life of a place or the life of a person today. Lord, we thank you, we praise, and we glorify your name. Amen.